actually is saying, they depart. And in chapters uh, 7 and 8 at the Feast of Booths, it says many believed in them, and then Jesus challenges that, and the conversation goes back and forth, and it culminates with them picking up stones to kill him. So we've seen statements like verse 42 quite a few times, and then the faith turns out to be inauthentic. But there's nothing that follows verse 42, at least that connects to it. Um, so we've, we finally have come to a, a crowd that believes in Jesus and there isn't a qualification or a, uh, a, a discovery that, that that faith is inadequate. Um, so you could certainly argue that this may well be kind of a, a turning point in, in, in John's gospel at a transition and maybe even a good spot to stop. But the next chapter, chapter 11, which is uh, what we've reached, is uh, widely regarded as the last of the seven signs in John's gospel. Uh, there are different ways of uh, accounting the seven signs in John's gospel. Everyone agrees that there are seven signs, but not everyone agrees what they are. Um, <laughs> for example, the, uh, there's the miraculous catch of fish at the end of John's gospel, and that's usually not considered one of the seven signs in John's gospel, although there are some ways of accounting the signs that do consider that one to be the seventh sign. Um, so I, I think it certainly makes sense to finish on what most would consider to be this, the seventh sign, and that would be the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So we'll look at the first four verses first. That kind of sets up the situation. <clears throat> now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary uh, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Um, one thing that you might notice that is going to seem just a little bit odd in that is that you, when it introduces Mary, it talks about an episode that's going to happen later in John's gospel where Mary is about to, Mary has not yet anointed Jesus' feet with her hair. Uh, that, that happens later in John's gospel. And I, I think this is an indication that John knew that his readers would be familiar with the synoptic gospels and would, would know that event, which is also recorded in the synoptics, um, and so you know, he doesn't feel the need to, uh, to, to have that incident when he just sort of reminds people of, of who this particular Mary is. Um, the main point in these verses, uh, one, one point certainly is it sets up the situation, and I think they're very self-explanatory on that level, but certainly a big part of this is that a request is being made of Jesus, and there's actually a, you know, a bit that I think we can learn about prayer from that. Um, when they, they look, when they appeal to Jesus, they appeal to Jesus' love for Lazarus with their request. And that, I think, is a much better basis for praying than uh, our love for Jesus or certainly you know, any perceived debt on Jesus' part to us. Um, instead, they, they appeal to Jesus' love uh, for Lazarus, which is, is certainly the right way to pray. And they also don't make a specific request. They, they simply inform Jesus of, of what's happening. Uh, and I think there's an implied trust of Jesus that he will act appropriately. Uh, they don't specifically 
make a request. I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong to make requests in prayer, but they, they certainly should be made with the understanding that Jesus is going to act in love, and that may not make sense to us, and that's actually going to be an idea that's going to be developed in this chapter. <clears throat> the next section starts in, chapter, in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to, to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. Or, um, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these say things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant uh, taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. So I'm going to start with the timeline. Uh, and it, it gets complicated by the fact that we don't know where Jesus was. Um, there's, there's several possibilities. The two most likely are either a one-day journey to, to Bethany or a three- to four-day journey to Bethany. Um, and at the end, it, it really doesn't matter. The delay of two days isn't going to make a, a difference. You know, if Jesus had left immediately, Lazarus would have been in the tomb two days. If Jesus, uh, since Jesus did delay two days, he arrived when Lazarus had been in the, in the tomb four days. Uh, it's likely that Lazarus probably died very shortly after the, the messengers left to get Jesus. Um, but the delay is important because John doesn't just include it you know, he's going to, he emphasizes it quite a bit. He's, he, he's very careful with what he chooses to include and what he doesn't. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we would love to have that we're going to see in, in these chapters that isn't there. So when Jesus, or sorry, when John does include things, they're, they're there for a reason and they're important. So why, why is he emphasizing it? Um, and, you know, how does he emphasize it? Well, he, one of the things that he does, um, let me go back, sorry. I should have had this in red. It looks like a, there's a mistake in these notes again. Uh, he, he emphasizes it by using a, a strange way of constructing a statement that we've, we've seen quite a few times in John's gospel by now. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed too long, two days longer in the place where he was. That connection is not um, what you expect. You'd expect it to read, um, you know, now, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he left as soon as he could because he loved Lazarus. That's kind of how we would have expected it to read. And John is writing in a way that it catches us off guard. It surprises us. And he's done that before, but he wants to draw attention to things. He doesn't need to add the detail that, uh, that Jesus loved uh, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's not particularly important to the narrative. Um, 
at least just in terms of you know, kind of giving us the storyline, but it, it, it is added and that, that means it is important. Um, <clears throat> we, we could have all sorts of ways that we might have interpreted why Jesus chose to stay those two additional days. It may be that you know, Jesus was in the, minis- the middle of some ministry that he wanted to make sure that he finished. Um, you know, there, there might some be some other reasons that he didn't want to leave right away, but John doesn't allow those. He excludes those because he tells us the reason that Jesus delayed two days. That reason is that Jesus loved Lazarus. Um, so uh, the, the thing that we, we have to take from that is that Jesus waited in responding because he loved Lazarus. Um, to us, we expect Jesus on receiving the news that Lazarus was ill to act out of love for Lazarus by dropping everything and rushing to his aid, but um, that's not what the text says. God's timing is not our timing. God does not always respond to the needs that we bring to him in ways that make sense to us or appear on the surface to be the most loving. But one of the things that this text, I think, is very clearly saying is that God always responds to his people in love, and I would argue in the, in the most loving way that he can, and that we need to trust that he's always acting for our, our best good and for his greatest glory in the ways that he responds, even when they don't seem like they make sense to us. Um, in verse 9, you know, Jesus seems to be highlighting the fact that, you know, a, a, um, what, what does verse 9 mean? Um, Jesus starts kind of by highlighting the fact that you, know, you can divide the day into a certain amount of time. Um, <clears throat> sorry, let's see. And I, I think that what he's saying by that is that you know, he has specific work to do. Um, and that, that's work that's in, that's in Judea that he's called to do. And his life is safe and secure as long as he is doing what the Father has allocated to his ministry. Um, Jesus has re- repeatedly claimed to be the light elsewhere, and I think that Jesus is teaching here that you know, as long as they're working in his presence, they can trust that nothing will happen to them outside of Jesus' control. Without light, without Jesus' presence, you know, things may indeed be unsafe, but in the presence of the light, they're, they're safe. I think that's the, the gist of what Jesus is trying to say. Now, I think the harder one to look at is, you know, in verse 15, when Jesus says, you know, for your sake, I, I was glad that I was not there so that you may uh, believe. Um, what, what does that mean? There's several things. The most obvious is that the faith of the, of the disciples would be strengthened by the performance of a greater sign than just healing Lazarus. Um, and another consequence of this is that Jesus' enemies are made more resolute against him. In John's gospel, the catalyst for the crucifixion is the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, it's the resurrection of Lazarus that is kind of the, the tipping point where they go from wanting to kill Jesus to firmly, resolutely deciding that they are going to kill Jesus and, and then killing him at, at Passover. I think we could also say that by waiting, you know, Jesus is able to perform a greater work um, than if he had cho- you know, healed Lazarus at a, a distance. And... Um, one of the things that we're going to see in this sign is that it's another picture of salvation, just like the, the healing of the blind man was in chapter 9. We see something else here. The text doesn't state the nature of Lazarus' illness, but it's kind of hard to imagine an illness that is expected to lead to death that wouldn't have resulted in, in a lot of pain and suffering along the way. Jesus didn't only allow Lazarus to die, but 
He also allowed an illness to progress before that happened. Um, today, when people are confronted with the reality of suffering and death, a lot of Christians even will kind of attempt to excuse God from the responsibility for those things. Um, but I think this passage clearly teaches that Jesus had the power uh, to he heal this illness and de death, and Jesus chose not to do that. He specifically chose not to prevent you know, suffering and illness and death in, in this friend of his for a reason that the text gives us, and that reason is because he loved his friend. Um, hard to picture, but that's what the text says very clearly. And so we have to, to realize that suffering and death and you know, all of these things that you know, um, people can't see God's love in, this text tells us, I think, God's love is there for us, at least when those happen to his people. Uh, we, there's a lot that we can learn from this, and I think rather than me trying to, to say it, J.C. Ryle did a very good job of summarizing this, and so I just want to read something out of his commentary. This is a slightly longer quote than I usually do. The children of God must constantly school their minds to learn the great lesson now before us. Nothing so helps us to bear patiently under the trials of life as an abiding conviction of the perfect wisdom by which everything around us is managed. Let us try to believe not only that all that happens to us is well done, but that, that it is done in the best manner by the right instrument and the right time and at, and at the right time. We are all naturally impatient in the day of trial. We are apt to say like Moses when beloved ones are sick, heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. We forget that Christ is too wise a physician to make any mistakes. Let us turn from the passage with a, a subtle determination to trust Christ entirely with all the concerns of this world, both public and private. Let us believe that he by whom all things were made uh, is he who is managing all with perfect wisdom. The affairs of kingdoms, families, and private individuals are all alike overruled by him. He chooses all the portions of his people. When we are sick, it is because he knows it to be for our good. When he delays coming to help us, it is for some wise reason. The hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise and loving to smite without a needs be, or to keep us waiting for relief without a cause. The last thing I just want to look at in this section quickly is uh, at, at the end, verse 16, we have a statement from Thomas. This is the famous Doubting Thomas. Interestingly, Thomas is only uh, discussed in um, John's Gospel. He's listed as a disciple in the Synoptic Gospels, but none, nothing from him is ever recorded in those Gospels. But we see Thomas actually speaking a few times in John's Gospel. This is an example of that. And he says, you know, let us... Go, let us also go that we may die with him. Um, there's certainly a sense in which Thomas's response is appropriate. The disciples don't necessarily know what awaits them, but Thomas recognizes the importance of following Jesus despite risk of death. So that, that's certainly a positive in what he says. And you know, he's inviting the fellow disciples to follow, and I think, think it's a, certainly a better response than you're refusing to go into to da danger when Jesus is, is leading there. But there also seems to be kind of an assumed low view of, of Jesus' sovereignty in Thomas' uh, statement. He doesn't see Jesus as perfectly in control. He sees Jesus as, as going into a situation where the situation you know, is, is more dangerous than Jesus might be able to handle. Um, 
So I, I think, to, to me at least, there's kind of a mixed bag in, in what Thomas uh, says there. <clears throat> I'm going to read the next section that we'll look at. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to finish this. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he went and, and met him. Or sorry, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Um, you know, this, this is a section that we're not going to be able to scratch the surface of. We've talked about the, the theme of Jesus being life other times in John's Gospel. And so I'm going to go through this a, a lot quicker than I would like to, just so that I don't uh, reiterate too much that, that I've said before. But you know, I certainly want to um, draw some things that are important. One of the things that uh, would, would be apparent to a, a Jewish reader in the first century, uh, and probably outside of Judaism as, as well, but isn't readily apparent to us is kind of the importance of Lazarus being in the tomb four days. There was a belief in Judaism, and we, we have uh, documents from around this time, a little bit later, second century, but you know, this, this belief was probably you know, present in Judaism for a long time, that a spirit would hang around a body for three days. And you know, there, there was kind of a possibility that, you know, that that spirit was kind of hoping that maybe you know, it, it could return. Um, and after three days, you know, decomposition would have set in enough that the spirit's going to, to leave that body and that there really isn't any hope. And so the, you know, the fact that he has been dead four days, um, it, it's beyond hope. Kind of in the words of the Princess Bride, he's not mostly dead, he's dead dead. <laughs> um, the only thing left to do is to go through the pockets and look for loose change. <laughs> um, and, and so this is going to be a, a different level of a miracle uh, than the resurrections that are also recorded in the synoptics where Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, for example. Um, <clears throat> so that, that, that's something that will kind of help you to understand uh, this, this section as we look at it. We can see, um, or what can we see about Martha's faith in, in Jesus from her statements in verses uh, 21 through 24? And one of the things to notice um, is that she uses the word God twice in, uh, in, in 21, or 222. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And it, it's subtle, but there's a little bit of a, a separation between Jesus and God in her statement. She doesn't yet recognize that Jesus is God. <laughs> um, so I, it... Um, you know, he, he certainly sees, she, uh, she certainly sees Jesus you know, as, as someone who is well-connected to God, that you know, is a prophet that God is using, and, and perhaps the Messiah, but she doesn't yet, I don't think, quite 
grasp that Jesus is God. It's, so it's, there, you, you see that there's some limits to her faith. Um, she also doesn't seem to recognize that Jesus could have healed Lazarus from a distance if he had chosen to, and he uh, chose not to do that. So th there's some limits to the faith, but it's still faith in Jesus. Um, the next statement's a little bit more promising. Uh, your, uh, your, her response to Jesus um, <clears throat> you know, is that you know, whatever he uh, asks God to do, he can, he can do. And, and Jesus doesn't criticize her, her faith. He's going to build it, but he doesn't criticize it. Um, you know, I think the, the fundamental uh, deficiency that I see is that in her thinking, just like we, we saw with Thomas, you know, Jesus is still kind of secondary to circumstances. And you know, Jesus is able to do a lot within circumstances, but circumstances are bigger than Jesus in the way that, that she sees reality still. Um, she's not seeing Jesus as orchestrating those circumstances uh, in a way that she's not going to be able to, to necessarily see the good that will come out of it right away, but, but a way that's going to deepen faith and demonstrate its glory. But she's only seeing things in, in human terms. Um, Jesus' response is loving and gentle, and it's uh, Christ-exalting. Um, he seeks to deepen her faith. She might not have a, a strong or developed faith, but it's a faith in the right object. Um, we can see that it's not the quality of faith that's so critical, but it's the object of the faith that, that's important. At the beginning of this chapter, um, she would have thought that the best possible outcome of her request to Jesus would have been that Jesus would have intervened and saved the life of her brother. At the end, she's going to receive something far greater. Uh, she's going to see a revelation of Jesus' glory. And to many of us, I, I think a lot would see this as the greatest revelation of Jesus' glory in the gospel up to this point. Um, I think the resurrection to me would be a, a greater revelation of his glory, but this would be a, um, aside from that, this would be kind of the, the high point of Jesus' ministry. Um, and that is, is far greater than receiving her brother back from the dead which she also gets, but that's a, a secondary thing in this chapter. <clears throat> um, Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life, of course, is a, a very famous statement. We're not going to even scratch the surf surface of this, but I, I do want to say a little bit about it. Um, Judaism saw you know, a resurrection at the end of history, and there's not much that really clearly talks about in, that in the Old Testament. It, it's there, but it, it's only revealed in a, a very dim way. Um, and it's dim enough that w the other major sect at the time, the Sadducees, um, the Pharisees being the, the other major sect, didn't even believe in a resurrection. Um, now, there's interesting questions. You know, how would God raise sinful individuals in a way that would allow him not uh, to deal with their sins that they had committed justly? How could a sinful people live forever in God's presence? The Judaism of that day would not have satisfactory answers to those questions. No other world religion today uh, can answer those questions without an assault on God's character. Either God is unjust uh, by not punishing sin that must be punished, or uh, God doesn't have a way of forgiving his people uh, and he must deal with them justly, and that would prevent any of them from enjoying his presence and his favor. Your life in God's presence is impossible without the person of Jesus Christ. He, and only he, makes the resurrection possible, 
and He allows a sinful people to live in God's presence. As Christians, we should look at the resurrection <clears throat> you know, as the only just thing that God can now do, not because we have accomplished anything or we deserve eternal life in God's presence, but because Christ has accomplished uh, for us what we could not accomplish and has earned uh, that in, in our place. And it's our union with Christ that uh, where eternal life is now a, a just outcome uh, of what Christ has accomplished. Without the cross, we might have a world where God is perfectly just, but that would be a world that would leave not even a sliver of hope for mercy towards a single sinful inhabitant in that world. We might have a world where God were merciful, but such a God could never really be called God uh, if he simply excused sin without dealing with it. He, that, that God would not be just, and that God would not run the universe justly. Um, it's only through Jesus and Jesus' atoning death that God can both be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. If we sit back and read the chapter, um, Jesus' statement here you, kind of feels like the high point of the chapter. And you know, the resurrection of Lazarus probably feels anticlimactic in comparison uh, to this statement. And if you read it that way and feel that way, you, you're reading it well. Because I, John very uh, intentionally wants us to, to read that, the chapter that way. Um, I'm going to show us something called a, a chiasm. Um, and th this is something that was used frequently in ancient writing. It's actually been used a lot in John's gospel, and I haven't been dealing with them uh, yet. But it, it, it's important enough that I, I would like to show you the chiasm that uh, is, is used in, in this chapter. It, it's also something that modern writers tend not to use very much, and so it's not something that we're as familiar with as writers in the ancient world would be. Um, so we might not necessarily have even heard of what chiasms are. We might not necessarily think to look for them, but they, they still work whether or not you know it's there. Um, and that, that's why th this verse feels like the, the center of the chapter. So let me show you uh, a way of uh, expressing the, the structure of John chapter 11 uh, that, that shows you what a chiasm is. So with a chiasm, you'll have a central point, and that in this particular way of rendering John uh, 11, that's you, the uh, point D right in the middle. And then you'll have kind of the same point before and after it, and then the same points before and after those, and the same points before and after those. Oh boy, this does not come through very well. Um, That doesn't come through well at all. Uh, I've actually got these in different colors, so they, they really s stand out very nicely on my screen. Um, but it, at least the, the spacing still works. So the, the central point in this chapter is I am the resurrection and the life. And then if you look b before and after it, you have Martha and then later Mary ask the exact same question word for word. Um, and then but uh, if you kind of go earlier and later, you'll see statements about Jesus' love for uh, you know, the, the Lazarus especially, but you know, the, the people in this chapter. Um, and then finally, you'll see statements about you know, this illness is for the glory of God. Um, so you'll, you'll see these, these ideas come up. They don't have to be exactly identical, but they, they're, they're, they need to be similar enough that they kind of catch your eye. And so John very much wants us to... Um, to see this as the central point of the chapter. 
And I, I've, I've seen versions of John's gospel where someone will construct a chiasm where this is the center of John's gospel, uh, right, right here in, in this verse. I haven't looked into that well enough to know how reliable uh, th that is, I, I have to admit. Um, and by the way, if, if you look up different chiasms for John chapter 11, you will see different ways of organizing these sometimes. You'll see some that have more points than this. You'll see some that are a little simpler. Um, this is the one that I thought was the most reasonable. Um, but I, 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 I looked at a few, and I never saw one that considered anything else to be the center, center of the chapter. They all agree that this verse is the, the center of this chiasm. Um, so John has told us that this is the high point that he wants us to focus on. Uh, for many of us, um, you know, if, if we had you know, written an account of, of this on our own, our instincts would have been to make raising a dead man the, the high point of the account. But John sees a statement by Jesus as, as the high point, an item that he sees central that he wants to draw our attention to. If we've been paying attention to John's gospel, this shouldn't surprise us by now. To John, Jesus' miracles are signs, and a sign is not important on its own. A, a sign is something that points to something much more important than itself. Uh, a, a good example of that, just a good picture to have in your head is that you don't drive to the Grand Canyon, get to the sign that says Grand Canyon. You get out of your car, take a picture in front of the sign, and then drive back. You've missed the point of the sign. The sign is pointing you to a really spectacular canyon. Um, <clears throat> In, in this passage, we, we would be uh, every bit as silly as you know, doing that if we you know, just focus on the resurrection of, the, the Lazar of Lazarus and we don't focus on what that sign is pointing to. Um, I'm going to go over just a little bit. I hope that's okay, Tim. Um, I, I prefer, in fact, not to talk about I prefer not to use the word resurrection for what Jesus does with Lazarus because it, it, it's something different than the resurrection of, of Jesus. I, I would prefer resuscitation. Um, Lazarus really was raised from the dead, and um, I'm not you know, questioning that, of course, but um, you know, it, it, it's a fairly substantial miracle in that there's four days of decomposition and that were reversed that Jesus... Uh, undid and, and brought his friend back to life. But Lazarus isn't alive now. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how long Lazarus lived after this. Nothing else is, is recorded uh, of Lazarus. I tend to suspect that he probably had fairly good health and a fairly long life, but I have no way of, of proving that. I just, uh, I've always figured that that is probably what ended up happening, but he eventually grew old and died. Um, we, we know that because Lazarus isn't st uh, still around. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what I um, think the, the reason that John considers Jesus' statement is that Jesus is pointing to something a lot better than a resuscitation, just bringing someone back from the dead for another few decades of, of, of life. You know, Jesus is pointing to something far greater. He's pointing to... Um, you know, his ability to give us spiritual life, uh, eternal life, um, unending life, life, life in the presence of God. And so that's where I would like to end. We'll uh, pick up in uh, 28 next time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're really curious about the chiasm and you're, if you're having a hard, hard time seeing it without the color, you're welcome to come up here and see it on this monitor. But um, anyway, let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, 
thank you for what you did to give us new life. And thank you for this beautiful picture of that life that you have freely given to us at such a great price to yourself. I pray, Lord, that we would think more and more deeply about what you have done for us and that that truth would change us. In Jesus' name, amen.